Good morning, Grace. If you haven't turned in your Bibles yet, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're continuing our series called Exiles, 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, And just so you know, I was sucking on a cough drop before the service, and I cut my tongue on it somehow in like three different spots. So if I start spewing blood or something, like Gene Simmons, bass player for the band Kiss, don't be alarmed. Just God in his sovereignty, it's just one of those freak moments where you suck on a cough drop and it develops a sharp edge, and then all of a sudden I'm like, why am I bleeding? So there you go. If I start bleeding, you know why. Sovereignty of God, right? Which segues perfectly to the beginning of our sermon. Do you want to know one of the reasons why I believe in the sovereignty of God? Why I believe that the Bible teaches the sovereignty of God? Why I believe what the Westminster Confession of Faith says when it describes the providence of God or the sovereignty of God. In chapter five of the Westminster Confession of Faith called Of Providence, it says this. God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least, like cutting your tongue on a cough drop, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. I believe in the sovereignty of God. And one of the reasons why I believe in the sovereignty of God is that I grew up in the 70s and played on school playgrounds in the 70s. The playground equipment that I played upon as a child is one reason why I believe that God, in fact, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence. Because the playground equipment that I played on as a child in the 70s and that many of you played on was a death trap. How were kids not killed every single day playing on that equipment? Think about the playground merry-go-rounds in the 70s. All the kids would grab a bar and start running. And when the merry-go-round reached about 35 miles per hour, you would try and jump on. And every time, there was a casualty. Someone wouldn't be able to land on the merry-go-round. So some kid's body would be dragged until he released, or some kid's body would get hammered by the metal bar, and their body would be slung across the playground. Oh, to be sure, in first grade, we were not yet taught Newton's first law of motion, An object in motion stays in motion until acted upon by an outside force. We did not know that from the textbook. We knew that from experience. We had seen kids not submit to that law. We had seen kids buck against Newton's first law of motion, and we had seen them try and jump onto a moving merry-go-round, and we had then seen them get acted upon by an outside force, namely said merry-go-round. There was always some kid who thought that they could time it just right and jump onto a merry-go-round that was going 35 miles per hour. How were 
There are not multitudes of deaths and broken bones every day on school playgrounds in the 70s. Answer the sovereignty of God. And think about the paint that covered these death traps, also known as playground equipment. They were all covered with layer after layer, coat after coat of lead-infested paint. And you could see the layers as they chipped away. And they would always chip off, and there was always some kid who would put some of those paint chips in his mouth. How did kids not get lead poisoning every day in the 70s? Answer, the sovereignty of God. And what about the teeter-totter, the seesaw? There are chiropractors who stay in business today because kids played on teeter-totters in the 70s. Because what happened every time you got on that seesaw? What happened every time you got on that teeter-totter? You would play gleefully with your friend up and down, up and down. And as you were going up and down, up and down, up and down, you were both just waiting to see who would make the first move. And the move to which I am referring to is where you suspend your friend in the air and while your side of the seesaw is on the ground, you would get that sinister look in your eye and then you would just stand up and let go. (laughs) And your friend would learn about Newton's law of gravity in that moment. Your friend would be punished because you bucked against Newton's law of gravity your friend would learn that gravity always wins. Your friend would crash to the ground and your friend is having back surgery today. (laughs) How were kids not killed every day in the 70s? Answer, the sovereignty of God. So allow me to add something to chapter five of the Westminster Confession of Faith. God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things on all playgrounds and on all playground equipment from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Everything that God does in this world, he does for his glory, even on school playgrounds. Everything that God does, he does for his glory, for his fame, for his reputation. Everything that God does in this world is to highlight and spread the fame of who he is. Everything that God does is meant to display the glory of his grace. Everything that God does is meant to stir the hearts of his people so that they, by the spirit of God, may find their joy in his son, Jesus. And everything that God asks of us is the same. And that's why our mission statement here at Grace is this. We exist to ignite a passion in every person to glorify and enjoy God everywhere and in everything. We want to spend our energies here igniting the same passion that God has for his glory in the hearts of every single person. We want to see people come to see and to savor Jesus Christ and to enjoy him everywhere they go and in everything that they do. 
And when we do that, we glorify God. But here's where the rubber meets the road for all of us. It's in the relationships that Peter will address in the next section of his letter. Peter will explain how we can glorify God in relationship with our government, in our workplace, in our marriage, and in our church family. Everything that God does, he does for his glory. Everything that God does, he does for his glory to be seen and to be delighted in. The Hebrew word for glory is Kavod. In scripture, it means weight. It means heaviness, and therefore it means importance. It's like people used to say in the 70s, whoa, man, that's heavy. That's the idea behind God's glory. It means, as Alan Ross says, that God is the most important or preeminent person in this or in any other universe. It means weightiness. So when someone is important, what do we say? We say they're throwing their weight around. That's the idea behind God's glory. So God does everything for his glory, for his weightiness, for his heaviness, for his importance. So that people would see it and say, whoa, man. So that they see his glory, his weightiness, his heaviness, his importance. And they say, whoa, man, I want to delight in that. I want to delight in him. I want to delight in his glory. And that's how God wants us to interact with our government. That's how God wants us to be as his representatives in this world. That's how God wants us to live in relation to the authorities in our lives. That the way we interact, the way we submit to, the way we make ourselves subject to the authority in our lives would be in such a way that the watching world would see Christians and see the church and say, whoa, man, that's heavy. That's what Peter is trying to get across to his readers. He's telling them this in this paragraph that we'll look at today. When you go down... God goes up. When you go low, God goes high. When we realize as Christians that we have all that we need in Christ, then we are free to submit to and serve others. When we realize that we are free in Christ, we can then humble ourselves in the various relationships in which we find ourselves. And then when we get low, when we go down, when we serve, when we submit, then God is lifted up. God goes high and God is seen for who he is, the most important and preeminent and all-satisfying person in the universe. And so let me give you a picture this morning to help you. You're wondering, why did you start talking about seesaws? Well, here's why. Think of it this way. Think of a teeter-totter or a seesaw. We're called to be seesaw Christians. We're called to be teeter-totter Christians. We are on one end of the seesaw and God is on the other. We 
frail, weak human beings are on one side of the seesaw and the infinitely glorious triune God of the universe is on the other side. Now, according to gravity and basic playground rules, if God is on one side and we are on the other, who's up in the air? Who is the one who is suspended in the air? It's us because of God's weight, his heaviness, his glory. But in God's economy, he has designed it that as we submit as human beings made in his image, as his representatives, as we submit to the authorities in our lives, we tip the teeter-totter and then God is seen for who he is, the infinitely glorious, all-satisfying God of the universe. And it's strange because his glory, his weight, his heaviness, his importance is seen In this world, when we, weak, frail human beings, get down, when we get low, when we serve, when we submit, when we subject ourselves to the authorities in our lives. That's what Peter is saying in this paragraph today. He's saying that we should be teeter-totter Christians. We should be seesaw Christians, that we go down and God goes up. We go low and God goes high. So let's get to the text. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Hear the words of the infinitely glorious, all-satisfying God of the universe. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, And to praise those who do good. As believers in Jesus Christ, as God's adopted children, as Christians and disciples, as those who are in union with Christ, we are called to submit to every human institution ordained by God. And Peter has in mind here the relationships that he will address in his letter, starting with the government, and then he'll move to our workplaces, and then in our marriages, and then in our church family. But Peter also has in mind any relationship whereby we have superiors or authorities over us. We are called as Christians to submit and subject ourselves to any authority that God in his sovereignty has placed over our lives. And the idea behind the Greek word for the phrase be subject is one whereby an army would arrange itself in in military fashion under its leader. It's a military turn. It means to fall in line, if you will, to get in formation. We are called to submit, to subject ourselves, to fall in line under any authority that God in his sovereignty places in our lives. But we don't like to do this, do we? We don't like to submit, do we? We buck against that. We don't like submission. We think submission is a four-letter word. Submission is the new S word. 
And yet Peter will say in verse 16 that true freedom comes when we learn to submit, when we learn to live as free servants or free slaves. But we don't like submission, do we? Submission is a four-letter word in the church these days. Submission has fallen on hard times. It's a dirty word. We don't like to submit. Submission is the new S word. As Americans, we don't like submission. And that should not surprise us because this country was founded on rebellion, not submission. You understand that, right? This country was founded on rebellion, not submission. Let that sink in for a moment. The founders of this country rebelled against their governing authorities in England. So as citizens in the United States of America, we don't like submission. And yet Jesus in John 8, and read it sometimes, Jesus in John 8 will go out of his way to say that when we submit to the authority in our lives, we find freedom. What does Jesus say in John 8? He says, I am from above, meaning I am God. I am one with my Father. I have the same essence and nature as God the Father. God the Father is God. I am God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And He yet, in spite of the fact that Jesus is God, just like God the Father, he says, I submit to God the Father. I never do anything that I want to do on my own. I submit to his authority over my life. Everything that I do, I please him. And then Jesus goes on to say, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Oh, we all know that phrase, don't we? Because this crept into pop culture. People in the world will say, the truth shall set you free. Part of the truth that Jesus is talking about is that when you submit to the authorities in your life, you will find that you are free. Submission has fallen on hard times in American evangelicalism. The church doesn't value the one thing that just may set us free. Submission has fallen on hard times in the Western American church, in American evangelicalism. But what does Paul say in Romans 13? He actually says everything that Peter says here in his letter. Read Romans 13 sometimes. But what does Paul say specifically in Romans chapter 13 verse 1? He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. But wait a minute. What's the very first question that comes to our minds as submissive hating Americans? What's the first thing that comes to our mind when we hear that verse? The very first thing we think of when we hear Paul say, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And the very first thing that we think of when we hear Peter say, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. The first thing that we think of is, when is it okay not to submit? The first thing we think of when we hear Paul and Peter say, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Are we subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution? The very first thing we think of is, when is it okay not to submit? Romans 13.1 does not even entertain that question. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 does not even entertain that question. Romans 13.1 and 1 Peter 2.13 are not even interested in that question. But the first thing that we ask is, when is it okay to rebel? You see, it's just part and parcel of being a Christian in the United States of America. 
we always want the right to say, no, I won't submit. I need an out. I want an out, and I have an out. You see, it's in our blood. It's in our blood because of one, because of Adam, the very first human being created by God. Because Adam rebelled against God, we are sinners, and it's in our blood because of Adam to not submit to authority. But it's also in our blood because we're American. Submission has fallen on hard times in American evangelicalism in the Western church. Nobody's writing books called The Submission-Driven Life. Why? Because publishers know that nobody will buy that book in America. But what does the American church desperately need to hear? It's this. When you go down, God goes up. When you go low, God goes high. When we humble ourselves in the various relationships in which we find ourselves, when we get low, when we go down, when we submit to the God-ordained authorities in our lives, then God is lifted up. God goes high, and God is seen for who he is, the most important, preeminent, infinitely glorious, and all-satisfying person in the universe. And that's the whole reason why we should submit. Peter tells us in verse 13 why we are called to submit to the governing authorities in our lives. Do you see it there? It's the phrase, for the Lord's sake. This is crucial to understanding this passage. We are called to submit to our government, to submit to the laws of the land, the laws of this state, the laws of this city, for the Lord's sake, for his glory to be seen and delighted in. We are called to submit so that Jesus would be seen for who he is, so that God would be glorified in our lives, so that the gospel would spread and Jesus' fame would spread to the ends of the earth. That's why we submit You heard me say last week that today we would see why and how we can submit to a government that does many God-dishonoring things, namely allowing the killing of unborn babies. So how can this be? How can Peter call us to submit to and subject ourselves to a government that many times does not glorify God? How in the world can Peter ask us to submit to a government that allows the killing of unborn babies. Well, we can do this because one, God has appointed each government. Each government, each leader, each nation is in place because God says so. And if he wants to take them out, he can do it. And if he wants them there, he'll leave them there. Secondly, we can submit because it brings him glory. It showcases his glory when his people don't mouth off to the authorities and they submit. And then thirdly, it's God's will that we submit. Look at verse 15 now. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, 
Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants or slaves of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Peter says that it's God's will that we submit to our government. Do you want to know what God's will for your life is? Isn't that like the number one question that besides why for anything that happens in our life? The number one question that Christian says, God, what is your will for my life? You want to know God's will for your life? It's right there. Submit to the governing authorities in your life. Peter is saying that when we submit, we are doing good deeds. And when we do these good deeds, Peter says it silences the foolish talk of people. Peter probably means that the lies and the misunderstandings that are perpetuated by the world, by unbelievers, about Christians, that they will be stopped when they see us doing good deeds, when they see us acting like decent citizens. And Peter just said in verse 12, we saw it last week, that some will come to know the Lord when they see our good deeds. So what are the good deeds that Peter has in mind here? The good deeds that Peter has in mind here are submitting to any authority in our lives that God has sovereignly put there, specifically the government. And two, by doing what Peter says in verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We're called to live, as Peter says, as free servants or free slaves of God. That means that we are free from trying to please man We are free from trying to earn God's favor through our goodness. We are free to love and serve others because of what Jesus has done for us. We are free to be merciful to other people because Jesus has had mercy on us. So when we live as free servants of God, we don't use our freedoms in Christ to do evil, selfish things, but rather we do good deeds to serve others, and when we do that, then God is glorified. When we live as free servants who submit to authority and obey the laws of our land, and we honor other people who are made in God's image, and we love fellow Christians from the heart, and we fear the Lord, and we honor our president, then God is mightily glorified. So here's what Peter is saying here. Live as people, as God's people, as God's chosen people. Remember, we saw that a few weeks ago in verse 9. Live as people. Live as God's people, he says, who are free. Free people don't have a master, right? Live as God's people who are free, who have no master, who have no rules imposed on them, no taskmaster over them, whipping them and beating them and saying, get to work and do it. He says, live as free people. God's people who have no master beating them down, yelling at them. But he says, don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Meaning, don't think that since you're a part of God's chosen people and you're made right with him and you're free and you have no master over you, then now you can disobey the laws and you can disobey the government and slander the president and do evil like verse 13 says. He says, but instead living as free servants like slaves who have a master, like servants of God. And what did Peter say to us in chapter one? That God is our father. He's our father now. We're free and we serve a father, not a master who's lording it over us, whipping us and driving us with the law, but a father. 
Free people don't do evil things that Peter is talking about, like breaking the law, disrespecting the government. But you're thinking, wait a minute, I'm free, I'm a part of God's people, and I do those things. Yeah, join the club. None of us are this free all the time, are we? We all do the evil that Peter is speaking of here, and we break laws like the speed limit, which I broke yesterday. You probably don't want to admit it, but I did. I did see someone in the roundabout, and Heather called me out, and I was like, and she said, that's a glorious person created in the image of God. And I was like, look at that glorious person. <laughs> Caught myself in that moment, thanks to my wife. But did I, did I go over the speed limit coming back from Pismo Beach yesterday? Yes, I did. Look down, I'm like, ooh, 82. <laughs> I'm glad I live across the parking lot, because if not, I know there are a lot of cops here today. You guys would be following me on the way home. <laughs> we all break the law all the time, don't we? And we disrespect our elected officials. So another way to say it is this. A sign of your freedom in Christ is that you obey the law of the land. You honor your president. You submit to authority. Therefore, you can tell how free a person is in Christ by how well they respond to authority. Ouch. You can tell how free a person is in Christ by how well they respond to authority, by how well they submit, by how well they submit to their government. Ouch, that hurts. But how do Christians sometimes interact with our government and the elected officials that we disagree with? We're awful sometimes, right? Can I say this without anyone throwing tomatoes at me? In case some of you... Granola people have some tomatoes in your purse. Can I say this? Christians are sometimes the worst citizens. Christians sometimes are the worst citizens, aren't we? And that makes the world speak ill of us. So many times we fail to show honor to our president, our elected officials, people in places of authority, and that's why we need to hear Ray Ortland this morning. He said this, our citizenship is for the Lord's sake. The will of God enters into our politics, but not in the way that some Christians think. The basic point in these verses is clear. Fit in, cooperate, make a positive contribution. I see no room in these verses for waging a culture war. But if we don't do that kind of Christian politics, then how do we know if we're getting about it right? Not by winning an election, but by silencing those who disparage the gospel. Put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Our politics are really Christian, not when our party, whichever that may be for you, pulls ahead in the polls, but when more people respect the name of Christ. That is Christian politics. God is calling us to a high standard in our political involvement, whatever others may do. These verses are saying to us, don't have a chip on your shoulder. Don't ridicule, ridicule the politicians you disagree with, but enter in and show honor to everyone involved. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to vote for them, but you must respect them for the Lord's sake. Isn't that what we really want? We can be so defiant. Sometimes we mouth off. 
But the call of Christ is noble. And isn't that what we really want? The call of Christ is to show mercy because he has shown us mercy. I don't, whatever your political affiliation is, Republican or Democrat, whether your guy won this election or the last election, whatever, whoever. I was talking with someone this week and I said, you know what? The politicians that we don't like, I bet if we just sit down and had a meal with them, we'd find out these people aren't that bad. So I don't know what side you're on, Republican or Democrat, or if you're in the middle and you hate both. We're still called to honor because God has said to us, you have a high calling, honor those in authority. God has shown us mercy, so we should show mercy to others, especially when it comes to the arena of politics, especially because God has appointed governments and leaders. So a government's authority only comes from God. Therefore, to reject that delegated authority is to reject the Lord. And none of us want to do that, do we? We don't want to reject the Lord. So when we buck against the system and we refuse to submit to our government or the laws of our land or the laws of our city or, the, or our leaders, then we can only expect trouble. It's like trying to jump onto a moving merry-go-round. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get injured you're going to get flung around. And that's why Peter says in verse 14 that the emperor and governors punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Our government has laws in place and when we obey them, we experience praise, meaning we aren't punished. We don't get tickets. We don't get put in jail. But if we buck against the system, it will be like trying to jump on a moving merry-go-round. There will be pain. We will be punished. So in our day, the punishing ordinarily looks like this. You run a red light, you get a ticket. You go over the speed limit, you get a ticket. I didn't get one yesterday. I wasn't trying to go over the speed limit. I just realized, I just confessed that. And there's people working the city here and cops. I'm gonna be in cuffs before this sermon's over. You fail to pay your taxes. The IRS comes a knocking. You don't cut the grass. The homeowners association finds you. That's what it looks like in our day. Derek Cleave says, Christians can have no truck with anarchy. I must drive within the speed limit, and I must pay the taxes which the state demands. The God we profess to trust is a God of order, and to maintain the order of society, we must follow the rules. We're called to submit, not just to our government, but every human institution where we find ourselves. The school we attend, our workplace, the homeowners association of our neighborhood, our parents, church leaders, etc. And we do this for one reason, for the Lord's sake, to glorify God and to tell the world just how good our God is. Remember, when you go down, God goes up. When you go low, God goes high. God is lifted high when you humble yourself and you go down and you submit to the government. God is lifted high when you humble yourself and get low and submit to the speed limit. God is lifted high, lifted high when you humble yourself and go down and get low and subject yourself to every human institution you find yourself in relationship with. But what about when our government or the authority over our lives wants us to do something that goes against God's word, that goes against scripture, that goes against the Bible? What do we do then? Remember, 
the typical American evangelical response to Paul's words in Romans 13, which are exactly what Peter says in his letter, the typical American evangelical response to let every person be subject to the governing authorities is this. When is it okay not to submit? When is it okay to rebel? Well, finally, here's the answer. We are to submit to every authority that is placed over us in this world, except when that authority commands us to do something which God forbids, or they forbid us from doing something which God commands. Let me say that again. We are to submit to every authority that is sovereignly placed over us in this world, except when that authority commands us to do something that God forbids, or they forbid us to do something which God commands. So there will be times when we collide and when we crash against our government and authorities like a merry-go-round. There will be times in our lives when we collide and crash against our government or other authorities like a kid jumping on a merry-go-round. If they tell us to do something that God forbids, then we respectfully, and that's a key word here, we respectfully say no. For instance, if the government came in here and said that all pregnant women in this church had to have an abortion, we would respectfully disobey. Or if the government forbid us to do something that God tells us in his word to do, then we would respectfully disobey and thus obey our God. Otherwise, our citizenship should be one where Jesus is exalted. Our politics should be politics where Jesus is exalted, not some party, not our favorite candidate. We should humble ourselves for the Lord's sake, not our political party's sake, whatever yours is. Not for our reputation's sake. It's all for his glory so that he will be seen as majestic and infinitely glorious and all satisfying. And so here's where the gospel instructs us this morning. We are free. We're free to lose and give up our rights because now we have God's favor. We are free to submit because we have God's favor. Because he had mercy on us, so now we're free to go and show mercy in all of our relationships. We are free to not demand that others treat us well because God has treated us well. We are free to not demand that our government treat us well because God has treated us well in the gospel. Let me say that again. We are free to not demand that our government treat us well. And the reason why is because God has treated us well and he didn't have to. We are free to become servants, free servants, free slaves is the Greek word because Jesus became a servant or a slave for us. And because he submitted to his father, we are now free. I know I haven't been the best citizen. I know I've said my share of things about government leaders. I know that I have not submitted in many ways. I know I have bucked against the law. I know, as I already confessed, that I have driven over the speed limit. I know that I have broken numerous laws, not just in our city, state, and nation. I think I broke some laws in Africa. What's the statute of limitations on that? 
I have broken, you guys are going to fire me as a pastor. I'm just admitting that I'm a rule breaker. And I just remember, I, you know, you, you, know you, you do things that you have to do to survive. You got to smuggle in Bibles or whatever you got to do, you know. I have broken more than these man-made laws. I have broken God's laws. And so have you. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus obeyed for us. We're forgiven. So you may be hearing this sermon and thinking, Ugh, I've spoken out against the president or the last president or the president before that or against my city leaders, politicians. I've spoken out against the homeowners association. I drove over the speed limit, did all these things. And you may be thinking the guilt and the shame the good news of the gospel is that Jesus obeyed the law for you. God's holy moral law expressed in the Ten Commandments. He obeyed that to, for us. And when we're united to him by faith, our sin and disobedience to every law gets transferred to him. And he gives us his perfect obedience. So now, as believers, we're forgiven. And our record is now blameless and righteous in a holy God's sight. And so we can sing the songs with conviction and passion, believing it. These words that we're going to sing in a moment. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, all the ways that I've broken God's laws and the laws of the land. Then upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful, law-breaking soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. To look on Jesus and pardon me. My sinful law-breaking soul is counted free and yours can be too if you look to Jesus if you admit your rebellion and say God have mercy on me when you go down God goes up when you go low God goes high and the gospel is this the lawmaker became the law keeper for lawbreakers like us that is good news let's pray Father, all of us have been leveled by your word, by the law this morning. We're sinners. It could be going over the speed limit and we're guilty. We deserve death and eternity in hell for that because that ultimately is breaking your law of submitting to the authority in our lives. God, so many things we do that dishonor you, but thank God that's not our record right now. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to live in such a way that you go high and you are seen as infinitely glorious. Thank you for the hope of the gospel this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.